I got the news via email that the emerald ash borer was discovered right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky in July of this year, 2021. And it's sad that we even have to think about the emerald ash borer but sadly, we do. Since the emerald ash borer was found in Kentucky back in 2009, it has progressively spread throughout the state and now destroyed millions of our prized ash trees. The damage caused from the emerald ash borer feeding brings on a lot of questions from Kentucky homeowners. They may wonder what control options are available, what trees can be replanted after the ash trees decline, Well, all of these questions are all going to be answered right now here in episode 17 of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. In this episode, I chat with University of Kentucky Forestry Health Extension Specialist, Dr. Ellen Crocker, to ask specifically what options are available for Kentucky residents. So to listen to the full episode, make sure to stay right here on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Welcome to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. This gardening show will equip and inspire avid gardeners with weekly tips and tricks to help them navigate the gardening world. The show will also highlight specific growing requirements for several plants so the sun will shine brighter over their Kentucky garden. And now, here is that ray of sunshine, garden enthusiast and horticulture extension agent, Kristen Hildebrand, with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. I'm so glad to have on the podcast with us today is Dr. Ellen Crocker, and she is our Forest Health Extension Specialist. How are you, Dr. Crocker? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on today. Yes, I know that emerald ash borer is a concern for a lot of folks, especially if they have a lot of ash trees around their garden or landscape, and even out in some of the the fields and other areas of Kentucky. And it's sad that we have to even think about an invasive pest like this, but sadly we do. Just to kind of start our conversation off today, can you tell us just a little bit more about the emerald ash borer and what damage it specifically causes to our ash trees here in Kentucky? Sure. So the emerald ash borer is an invasive insect. It's actually a small beetle that's native to Asia. And um, they have ash trees. Uh, We have ash trees. But their ash trees are used to dealing with this insect and they have defenses to it. And unfortunately, when this insect, the emerald ash borer, was introduced to North America, we found out that our ash trees do not have good defenses to it. And it can really rapidly kill ash trees. So it was first detected in the Michigan area in 2002. And since then, it's kind of been sweeping through the country. It was detected in Kentucky in 2009. And it's been kind of spreading. It was is detected in kind of central Kentucky, but it's been spreading south and west since then. And it's one of those where, as you mentioned, you know, I just hate that we have to talk about it because it's had such a big impact, killing millions of ash And it's also something that you might have heard about before. You know, you might have heard about emerald ash borer when it first arrived to the state. 
which has been some time since then and got to thinking, well, I guess we don't have to worry about this because, <laughs> you know, it happened back then, but it's still happening. It's, it's still arriving to new areas in Kentucky. So, you know, just this past year, new counties, especially in Western Kentucky, a lot of uh, new sightings of it. And when we talk about it moving into an area, there's it, this is little beetle. You're never going to notice that little beetle. Or if you do, it's by sheer luck because that adult beetle that you might see the pictures of, that kind of bright metallic green beetle, it's kind of comes and goes. But what's actually damaging the tree is hidden away from view and it's under the bark. And that's the larvae of that beetle that are tunneling and they're eating that juicy vascular system of the tree, the part of the tree that's just under the bark that's responsible for moving around water and nutrients. And it's not, you know, a big part of the tree relative to the rest of the wood, but it's the most important part of that tree for keeping that tree alive. So, a surprisingly small amount of damage those larvae tunneling in there can really hurt the tree. And with emerald ash borer, you get lots of larvae tunneling in that tree, cutting off its circulation and basically strangling that tree over time. So you might not notice anything on the outside, or you might notice the trees starting to look a little bit less healthy. Maybe it's kind of canopy has gotten thinner. It's missing some of its leaves or they're wilted, or they just don't look great, your tree looks declining, but underneath the bark, what's actually happening is lots of damage by that emerald ash borer larvae. And then over time, you might see dead branches, you might maybe see some holes on the outside of that trunk that have this characteristic D shape, and D like the letter. And that's the shape of that emerald ash borer beetle's body. So as it chews out, it's kind of got this D shape. But by the time you're seeing that damage, by the time you're seeing these holes or maybe the bark starting to come off and you're seeing that tunnel, that damage is really extensive. So unfortunately, by the time most people notice they have a problem, it's too late to do anything about it unless you're thinking proactively and kind of staying on top of the situation. It's easy to miss that damage until it's pretty extensive in the tree. And emerald ash borer can kill ash trees within just a few years. So something you want to be on the lookout for. In our area, we do have several different ash species, and all of these are going to be attacked by the emerald ash borer. But the good news is that this isn't something that's going to spread to your other trees. It's not going to spread into your oaks or your maples. It's going to be kind of focused on ash, as well as white fringe tree, which is a closely related small tree. So, you know, that's a positive. And it's bad news for your ash because those can be rapidly killed, particularly white and green ash. So we have several different species of ash trees. And the white and the green ash are the ones that are just really, really impacted by this. Now, blue ash we also have, but it appears to have a little bit more natural resistance to this, which is promising and kind of exciting for us going forward. But if you have white and green ash, they're going to get killed.
Yeah, it's sad because the ash trees here in Kentucky do provide a lot of shade. And I think that's why that people are very saddened when they hear about emerald ash borer and the destructiveness that they can cause. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And there's been studies and ash is is a great species because not only is it wonderful tree for our woods and our streams, but it's a really valued tree for our landscape settings. You know, you see a lot of streets where they're just planted straight with ash. And it's actually kind of a sad story before emerald ash borer, before all of this, those streets might have been planted with elm or elms are beautiful, but you don't really see them around anymore. And the reason for that is unfortunately another invasive species, Dutch elm disease. So our streets were lined with these beautiful elms that had this gorgeous vase-shaped Dutch elm disease. An invasive fungus came in and wiped them out. And unfortunately, what we chose to do is plant those areas with ash, which is a great tree, a wonderful tree for those locations. But with the arrival of emerald ash borer, history is repeating itself and we're getting, you know, the death of those trees as well. Yes, very, very sad all the way around. Now, a lot of the questions that we get, because we do get some questions here at the Extension Office related to about what are some options, especially for homeowners, because that seems to be what we get the most of. What are some options as far as control that are available or, or out there to help maybe with the emerald ash borer? Right. Yeah. I do really advise homeowners, if you've got ash trees, I think it's really worthwhile to look at those insecticide options that are available because your alternative is losing your ash tree. And that's really where we're at right now. You've kind of, you can treat it and maintain your trees or you cannot treat it and those trees are going to die. And, you know, you can replant that tree, but you're never going to get, if you've got a big, beautiful tree, you're not going to get that again in your lifetime. So I think it's a really worthwhile investment, not to mention the fact that the removal of some of these large trees can be quite expensive, not to mention the fact that that large tree is probably giving you some nice shading, decreasing your AC costs in the summer, all sorts of things that might offset its cost. But I For homeowners that are worried about this or have maybe heard about this and want to know what they can do, I'd say the first question I have for you is, do you have ash trees? Because if you don't have ash, fortunately, no problem. This is not going to impact your other trees, uh, just those white and green ash species you need to be most concerned about. Now, if you do have those, you can treat them with insecticides. And there are several different options that are on the market that are available to you. You could do this yourself, or you could hire an arborist, a paid tree professional to do that for you. And, you know, there's some differences in those two that we can talk about, but there are a number of good products on the market. If you go to your local hardware store and check the label, you'll find that these products are labeled for use against the emerald ash borer right there on the label. And in general, the most common one that's sold is a systemic insecticide with an active ingredient called imidacloprid. And there's lots of different names and formulations for that. But if it's got that imidacloprid, it's kind of something that's been proven effective against that emerald ash borer. Now, some caveats to that. 
you do need to treat regularly. So you can't just treat it once and it's going to be protected forever. No. If you're doing, let's say, a soil drench with an insecticide that has a metacloprid, you're going to want to be doing that maybe annually. And the timing of that can be important. Typically, it's advised to do that in spring, but you're really going to want to follow that label. A lot of these different insecticides, the amount of insecticide you're going to use is based on how big your tree is. So if you need to kind of measure the size of the tree, how big, and by big, I mean the trunk. What's that diameter of that trunk? You can measure that circumference just with some measuring tape and get it that way. And then you can follow that label to see how much of that chemical you should be applying. And I think I hear from a lot of folks, you know, that they're concerned about how much this is going to cost. But you can go and you can check it out yourself. One of the commonly available insecticides for this that's it's available at hardware stores nearby. It's sold in maybe a 32-ounce container for about $15. And that's enough to treat one 10-inch diameter tree once. So you got to repeat that every year. But if you think about it, $15 per year, that's not so bad. Now, if you have a bigger tree, it's going to get more pricey. And when we start talking about those bigger trees, especially, is when I start thinking of um, the benefits of hiring a professional. Now, if you're not familiar with kind of what arborists are, they are paid professionals with expertise in tree care. And there's a professional association that they might belong to, International Society of Arboriculture, ISA. And you can go online and find those arborists who've completed this core level of certification and training that lets you know that they take things pretty seriously. So they can use different chemicals and different techniques that can be more effective, that can last longer, and be more effective on those larger trees. So if you're interested in that, if this isn't something you want to do yourself, or you've got a tree that's a little bigger, you want to explore some other options, I really encourage folks to find a good arborist to work with, although they can do this themselves as well. A few other things to think about when you're thinking about treating your trees for emerald ash borer. Even though I just called it a treatment, you should really look at this as a protective insecticide application because once those trees start to show a lot of signs of damage, once they are really declining, that insecticide is not going to be as effective. The way these insecticides work is that they need to be moved around the tree through the vascular system. They're systemic insecticides. And I just mentioned that the emerald ash borer larvae damages the vascular system. So once that tree's pretty far along, if it's missing more than half of its canopy, it may or may not be effective. So you really want to look at these as something that you do when the trees are still in good condition. And similarly, because this is something you've got to keep doing here, after year for the foreseeable future, you might want to prioritize the trees you want to save, those trees that are giving you the most benefit, because there is going to be a cost associated with that. You might not want to invest that in trees that might be declining soon anyways. And one other note about treatment you don't have to treat when there's no emerald ash borer in your area. <laughs> you know, you want to time when you start treating to when you start seeing emerald ash borer damage relatively nearby. Not that that treatment's going to do anything bad to your tree, 
but it's money that might be better saved for a little bit later when the emerald ash borer is there. Yeah, that's a very good option that you bring up. And and I feel, I know I dealt with some other people that had several in their yard and they were really concerned about it. And at that time, it was close by in, in another neighboring county. And then they did choose to go ahead and apply. So I guess it just kind of depends, like you said, on your situation. And one of the questions that I do want to ask you about too is, you know, like say if if somebody doesn't realize they have ash and, you know, like the emerald ash borers in their area, what challenges does that bring, especially to some of those trees that are, say, out in the woodland areas or even in the landscapes, what kind of destruction would that cause? Oh, yeah, I think that's a good question. And, you know, most of what we're talking about today are those trees in the landscape, um, those yard trees. But unfortunately, this emerald ash borer beetle does not know the difference between the trees that are growing in your yard and the trees in the woods. It will kill them both. And we have ash growing in both places. You know, ash are an important species in our woods. And not only is the emerald ash borer going to kill them there, but after those trees have died and have been killed by the emerald ash borer, ash trees fall apart rapidly. And what you wind up with is a really dangerous situation in your woods or in your landscapes if you've got a standing dead ash tree. Because the emerald ash borer itself, surprisingly, it doesn't really hurt the wood, right? Those larvae that I mentioned, they're just tunneling right under the bark and the rest of the wood is pretty intact. So your initial thought might be, oh, that's that's going to be fine. Those trees aren't too compromised. Unfortunately, the second those trees start to go downhill, all sorts of other insects and fungi move in. It is a banquet for them. And they eat that wood and they break it apart. And so ash trees are famous for kind of snapping in half after they've been killed by the emerald ash borer. Again, not because of the damage by the emerald ash borer, but because of all sorts of other things that'll come in once that tree can't really defend itself anymore. So be careful of those ash trees, those standing dead ash. Now, if there's nothing nearby and a tree falls in the woods and nobody knows about it, it's fine. But if this is near a place where you spend time, near a structure, near something that you care about where it could fall and damage something, uh, that's something you're going to want to consider and you're one of going to want to think about before the tree has started falling apart. Because once it started to fall apart, ash are, are pretty hazardous to work with. And the same would go if anybody's um, got a lot of ash in their woods and wants to think about that. Sometimes, depending on the markets and you know what that looks like, you might be able to harvest your ash trees. They're going to die anyways. And so you might be able to harvest them and offset some costs that could help you kind of set things up for success down the road in your woods. On the other hand, it really depends. It depends on how much ash you've got. Across the state, ash was only about 4 to 5% of the trees in our woods. So not a lot, but in some properties, it could be much higher. It could be 20, 30%. So that's a situation if you're 
someone with some woods that's thinking about that, I really recommend reaching out to a forester and working with them. The Kentucky Division of Forestry has service foresters, as well as there are consulting foresters that are paid professionals that will work with you on making a plan for what to do in your woods. And I recommend working with them if that's something people are interested, but definitely don't underestimate the hazard that's posed by standing dead ash trees. So here's another question that I have that we get asked a lot of the times is say that somebody has ash and it falls victim to the damage that you've alluded to today. Is there any other trees that you can recommend that would help replace some of the ash? I know you kind of talked about that with the elm tree that we chose the ash as a replacement for it, but are there any good options for other trees that could replace the ash? Well, I'd say let's learn from that elm tree story, right? And let's not just replace it with one species. Because I think the temptation is people you want that uniformity. Let's just replace the ash with red maple. And I see that a lot. I love red maple. It's a lovely species. But if we just line everything with red maple and then something comes in that can kill red maple in the same way that the emerald ash borer has done ash, we're going to see the same thing happen again. And I, I hate to say it, but there's already an invasive insect just to our north in southern Ohio that kills maples. That's the Asian longhorn beetle. And fortunately, this is a situation where the USDA and state and local partners are trying to fully eradicate that. They've got it contained. They want to wipe it out so it doesn't spread to us. But I think history has shown us that these invasives come in and you can't really predict what the next one's going to be, that if you just have one species, you're much more likely to lose it. So I really recommend diversity. Let's plant with diversity and a diversity of native species because there are many non-native species that are great selections, but there's also many non-native species that I don't advise because they can be invasive or they can not be the best fit for this site. Whereas we have an abundance of amazing native species. Kentucky is one of the states with the most diverse trees in the entire United States. We have over 120 native tree species. I truly think that is one of our biggest kind of benefits into the future is diversity. Because if something does come in, we can be kind of buffered from potential challenges. We can weather that storm better if we've got diversity instead of, you know, just the same thing over and over again. And there are so many great native tree species that you could choose from. One thing that I like to advise people when they're trying to pick a replacement tree for ash is to do what they would do anytime they're planting a tree, is to try to pick the right tree for their site. And there's no one right tree. There's good choices and maybe less good choices depending on the site that you've got. So is it wetter? Is it drier? What's the soil like? Does it have a really rich soil or is the soil really poor? And if you can kind of take note of those things, you can match that with the trees that are going to thrive in those spaces. In the same vein, you know, you might have a challenging spot. It might be right between the road and the sidewalk and not much room. Uh, you don't want to plant a tree there that's going to need a whole lot of room. Otherwise, you're going to be sad. The tree's going to be sad. It's going to be a recipe for things going wrong. If you've got power lines overhead, 
not the place to plant a big tree. There might have been your ash there before, but since that time, there's maybe been other things around it. And there are fantastic smaller trees that you could choose from as well. So I'd say just dive into that diversity of our native treats. And I really recommend if you're trying to get ideas, go to a local arboretum, go to a garden and see what they have that you like. You know, I love walking around and getting ideas that way, seeing some of the different species and imagining how they would work in the landscape setting. When we come to replacements for ash trees, a few of my favorites are, of course, if you're looking for large trees, let's say you want a large shade tree. You can't go wrong with oaks. There are so many different oak species. So you do, however, want to kind of pair what you've got with a species that's going to thrive in that area. And there's just so many. And the reason I love oaks is because they are great species. They look beautiful. They're stately. They have good shade, but they're also great for wildlife, for insects, for all sorts of things that I want to kind of support the biodiversity in my uh, my urban landscape. I love watching all the insects that come in and, and use them, as well as the birds that feed on those. But there are other great trees. And I think it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Are you looking for great fall color? Well, check out black gum. It's kind of an underutilized tree that's got fabulous fall color. Do you want something kind of a statement piece for the winter time? I love a Kentucky coffee tree with those big seed pods in the winter. I think that's pretty interesting. Of course, somebody else might look at that and say, that's messy. I don't want it. <laughs> and so you don't want that tree. You know, you want something else in the same way, like a catalpa could be great for the right person. But if you don't want a messy tree that is not the tree for you if you want catalpa worms on the other hand it's a great it's a great tree uh, you know there's so many options out there we have no shortage of great native trees to choose from and those are just some of the larger trees oh a bald cypress is a really other interesting one that doesn't get used that much in the landscape setting it's a deciduous conifer right so it loses its needles but it's just still really cool smaller trees i really like yellow Wood. It's got some beautiful flowers. A service berry can be really nice. Of course, a red bud, that iconic spring, um, beautiful flowers. And I say those smaller trees because sometimes the spot that used to have your ash, it will no longer accommodate that big tree. So thinking carefully about what's the best tree for that site, what's going to be a good match for the conditions there, but also what's going to be a good match for what you want going forward. You know, what do you care the most about and which trees have that? I was listening to some of all those and those are great options. And you did bring out a very good point about diversity. And that seems to be the, the biggest aspect, especially not just going in with one type of species. Do so, you have some other favorites that you think are underplanted in your area that people could pick from? Well, I really like the red bud. And of course, it's one of the smaller ones. And I've always been a big fan of dogwood. And it seems like those have good season of interest with the dogwoods, all four seasons of interest. So 
those two seem to be my favorite. But on the larger side, I don't think I really have a favorite just yet. But I'm still getting into some of the natives. So I need seems like I need to do some more exploring of some of those other ones you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, there's this idea that gardening with natives is boring. And I just encourage everybody to disabuse themselves of that notion because there are such wild and outrageous native species out there that give you beautiful foil color, give you amazing flowers, just really striking. But then they also support native insects and they also support those native birds. And they also, you know, they do many different things and they can wear a lot of hats, which is one of the reasons I love gardening with native species. And you don't have to worry as much about Oh, that thing that I loved that I thought was going to be sterile, um, calorie pear or Bradford pear, that turns out it's not and it's taken over. <laughs> so the natives, you know, they do a lot of good things. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned the natives. And with you working in forest health as an extension specialist, maybe there's a good direction you can point us into to kind of look at some of those plants. Is there something that you all have on your website or anything about that? I really encourage you to check out uh, Lori Thomas, who's an extension forester, has got a great tree of the week um, series where she does different videos of different trees. And I also encourage you to check out the Kentucky Invasive Plant Council. They have some nice resources about native plants and especially native alternatives to invasive plants. Yes, thank you for mentioning that. I know we've run out of time today, but if anybody has any other questions related to Emerald Ash Borer, is there any good resources or publications that would be good for them to check out? Yes, there are a lot of great resources about Emerald Ash Borer online. You can check out UK's entomology extension pages. They've got some really good fact sheets. I'd also encourage folks to check out Purdue University has some great tools and resources, including a cost calculator that can kind of help you put together the costs and the benefits of treating your trees for emerald ash borer or not treating them. And, um, you know, play around with that and see what you think. Ellen, thank you for being on the podcast today. I know we'll have to schedule another future visit with you soon. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And I do wish everyone the best of luck dealing with Emerald Ash Borer. It can feel really bleak with these invasives, but I think the future is really bright and there's a lot that we can do to promote the health of our trees and to encourage these important trees in the landscape and in your woods. I hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the emerald ash borer and the damage it can cause. A special thank you to Dr. Ellen Crocker for providing her expertise and being a guest right here on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Now, if you would like to see the show notes from episode 17, make sure to visit me on the blog at Warren County Agriculture. You can find me at warrencountyagriculture.com. Thanks for listening, gardeners. As always, keep on digging into gardening and remember to add a little sunshine. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast with Kristen Hildebrand. If you enjoyed today's content, make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to catch future segments of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Gardeners, keep on digging and learning more about gardening so the sun shines brighter over your Kentucky garden. The Sunshine Gardening Podcasts with Kristen Hildebrand is a production of the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. 